Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant, and coming up in this episode, curling and the best of the Olympics. You know, every team that's at this Olympics, like, I, I truly think this will be the hardest Olympics ever. A lot of times when we're, when we're throwing a rock to the middle, we're aiming like four, five, six feet um, on a different trajectory. So when you put that turn on the rock, yeah, it's very similar to chess in that way, where you're kind of trying to plan your moves out several shots in advance. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share, leave a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So I want to get right to our first guest because I am fascinated, fascinated by curling. And our first guest is one of the best curlers in the world. He's representing the United States in Beijing. This is Olympic curler Chris Plies. Right now, leading up to the Olympics, like what does your training look like? Yeah, it's been a little bit challenging with, uh, with COVID. Um, we're lucky enough to have a curling club here in Duluth. Uh, Minnesota that uh, allows us to have private access to the club and we have some ice makers and stuff that give us good conditions so um, typically we spend a lot more time as a team and a lot more time traveling um, playing different tournaments call them like bond spiels and, and curling just the rules being what they are with if you test positive you're ineligible to play um, you know half the game right now is just trying to stay healthy so been spending a lot more time on the fat tire bike and you know hiking around with the dogs and and all that kind of stuff so i mean looking at it on tv right and you know what that's worth but like how physically demanding is it at your level yeah curling is like one of those sports where um you know you watch it on tv and it doesn't seem like it's that um physical you know of a sport a couple things that you have to keep in mind is our tournaments are very long so um like heading into beijing I will um, been fortunate enough to qualify in two different disciplines. So I'll be like one of the busiest guys in China. Um, and so our, I'll be there pretty much competing for like almost three weeks. Um, and our games for mixed doubles will last about an hour and a half. And our men's games can last two and a half to three hours. Um, but you're talking like being on the ice for anywhere from three to six hours a day. So um, it takes its toll on it. Like sweeping is very physical. Um, you know, just like throwing rocks and stuff. That's not something that's going to like beat your body up and stuff all that much, but the sweeping and the recovery time. And then, yeah, just the mental side of it, of being trying to compete at a high level for such a long period of time is pretty exhausting. Is it more of a mental thing than it is a physical thing? It is. I would say it's about 50, 50 as the week goes on, especially when the stakes are so high, like in an Olympic games or a world championship or something like that. Um, that definitely takes its toll, but you know, as the years have gone, as the years have gone by and getting older and putting all this abuse on my knees and shoulders and stuff, uh, the just the repetition over all the years of you know getting into that like position that we throw the rock in, um, and then also the sweeping. I mean, it just it beats you up. It beats you up over years. I mean, I've played other sports and stuff, and I would say that curling is, especially at a high level, is just as physically demanding um, as any of the other sports I've ever played. You know, you guys won last time, last Olympics. Is is it easier kind of coming in without those expectations or is it more difficult because now everybody's looking at you? Um, I joined this team after the Olympics um, when one of their team, when one of those players retired. But I mean, the expectations and stuff are definitely still there. Um, you know, the other three guys were there. And yeah, I mean, try not to think about it too much. Uh, you know, it's, it's an honor to like have those kind of expectations put on us, but... Um, 
you know, as long as we can go there and, and put a, a performance down that we're proud of, I think all of us will be happy leaving Beijing. I knew I was going to say something. I knew it was like, I should really, nope, nope. No, I, no, I can't good, do it. And I was like, I knew I was going to say something. I was like, God, oh, dude, I've been at so <laughs> as many, soon as, as soon as... <laughs> I've been at so many uh, like tournaments and stuff where I've been, you know, introduced as an Olympic gold medalist and sometimes in front of a lot of people and you just sit there and just wave, just say, yeah, sounds good. Like, so, no, it's all good. So then like when you went on, when going on to a team that is filled with Olympic gold medalists, Mm-hmm. What is that like joining Metallica after they've already been Metallica, <laughs> right? Um, you know, it's pretty cool. Like I I've played with all these guys minus uh John Lansander, who's our lead. Um I'd played with all of them before earlier in my career. I won a world junior championship with Matt, um, and I won a world university games with Schuster back in the day and um and then yeah, we had just competed against each other. Um we ran into each other in a lot of finals and stuff over the years and um so yeah, it was just a cool experience. It was like it's you don't get that opportunity every day to join a somebody that's coming off of an Olympic gold. Normally, those players will you know at least play one more year and kind of carry out the you know you get a lot of cool opportunities when you, when you win an Olympic gold. So I was fortunate enough to get to reap some of those benefits, and it's been a lot of fun. When you go about it, right, like watching it on TV, it's like okay, throw the thing, try to get it next to the center. If somebody's in your yeah. way, knock the thing out of the way. Is like, but is there how much strategy goes into it? Um, I mean, strategy is the name of the game for curling. Um, you know, it's it, it's hard to see on TV, and it's one thing that I wish they would incorporate a little bit more of, like an overhead view um, when it comes to curling. Because a lot of times when we're when we're throwing a rock to the middle, we're aiming like four, five, six feet um, on a different trajectory. So when you put that turn on the rock, and it's you know not to get super complicated, but like hockey ice is completely flat and like figure skating ice, that kind of stuff. It's completely flat. Curling ice is flat, but it also has, um, we call it pebble. Um, so there's little bumps, um, that they spray onto the top of the ice that allows the rock, um, which has a little texture on the bottom. When you put a turn on it, that texture on the bottom of the rock grabs those little pebbles and will pull it one direction or the other, depending on what, on what turn, uh, you know, counterclockwise or clockwise you put on the rock. So, um, it's hard to tell when you're watching TV that there's that much stuff going on. Um, Almost like reading a green in golf. Exactly. Yep. Exactly like that. And so, like the the slower you th- the slower the rock is moving forward, the more it's gonna have a tendency to curl. So just like a putting green, like you're playing a break. So if it's curling six feet, you know, if you want, if you have just like drop it in the hole type weight on your putt, you know, you're gonna have to play a bigger break. And you know, you talk about guys like putting it through the through the break same with curling you throw it harder you're going to take that break out of the equation and um, the rock will travel straighter is it pretty reliable like throughout the match right like i know i throw it here i know it's going to do this or does the ice kind of change throughout yeah um you know at the high level the ice makers are just as good as we are as players um so we're really fortunate to get to play on some really great um playing surfaces um but as the as the game goes on and on just uh those pebbles will kind of wear down and get flatter and flatter which will cause the ice to maybe tend to be a little bit slower um or curl a little bit more i never thought of while it's called curling and then when you mentioned that oh it kind of cur- <laughs> this all makes sense to me now yeah it curls into the thing yeah so like how did you i guess why are you good at it uh, a lot of practice man just a lot of practice spent Hour, I mean, 
tens of thousands of hours, tens of thousands of rocks. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's a game of repetition. But to kind of follow up on that, right, is there something, though, unique about you where if I went out and put in, or anybody went in, put in the same amount of time, am I going to be just as good? I think it's kind of like that in every sport. Um, you know, there definitely is some, like, just some people just come to it more naturally. Um, I think of it a little bit like golf. Like there's some guys that can go pick up a golf club and just, they just naturally have that ability um, to be, to start at a little bit higher level or escalate their skill at a high, at a faster pace um, where you see some guys that have been grinding out on the golf course for 25 years and they're still shooting 90. You know, I mean, I think that kind of stuff still, it finds its way into curling as well. Um, you know, I, I've been lucky. I, I seem to kind of have a little bit of that, you know, God-given talent, if you will, where it just kind of came easy at a young age and, and came to it. So It's not everything like you were tested by the doctor and you have the best depth perception <laughs> of anybody who has ever lived or anything like that. No, no. It's, um, you know, I just was lucky enough to be born in a cold place that had a really nice curling club and... Um, and got into it at a young age, and, and here we are. So, bottom line is, being an Olympian takes no talent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess, when did you kind of make, like, ooh, I could do this? I can't remember, like 15, maybe, somewhere in that age. Um, I was playing in a state championship, and we didn't win. Um, but I was uh, picked up as an alternate by a bunch of guys. So, juniors um, goes up till you're 21 years old. So, it's 21 and, and younger. Um so there's a bunch of guys that were like 19, 20, 21, and uh, they brought me along as an alternate, and um, I learned a lot that year, and I was really fortunate to have a bunch of guys that had been around the block a time or two that took me under their wing and, and kind of taught me what they knew, and so my, you know, a lot of times in curling, it, it takes a long time to learn all the ins and outs and stuff, and I was very fortunate to have people that, you know, saw something in me and um, were willing to kind of give me their secrets, if you will, and and get me ahead of the curve and um yeah so it, it i was very lucky very very lucky in that in that sense who's the more important person in each kind of round the person throwing it or the people sweeping it um so curling is made up like on men's um so it's four guys on a team so you have a lead a second a third and a skip uh, my position is third um, but every guy on the team will throw two rocks every end we call it but like end inning you know kind of same thing and uh your position just is basically saying what order you're throwing it. So our lead throws the first two, second throws the second two, third throws the third two. Um, and then the skip is the guy at the other end that's kind of the strategist of the team. Um, and so he kind of calls the game and, and does the strategy side of it. Um, and, and he's the guy that when you're watching it on TV, you'll hear yelling and, and doing all that kind of stuff most of the time. I always wondered who that was. Yep. Because I always see the three people. I was like, well, I know there's four. Where's that fourth guy? Yep, the other guy. And, and he's kind of like our team captain, if you will. Um, and so our team is led by John Schuster. He's our skip. And um, this will be his fifth Olympic Games coming up in Beijing. Um, so he's kind of the, you know, the Babe Ruth of USA curling. Like, you know, I think, um, you know, I'm sure there's other names in the hat. But in my opinion, uh, the greatest American curler of all time. Um, certainly the most accomplished and yeah, so he, he's the guy that's kind of deciding what strategy, what shot selection we should be playing. Um, and then the yelling stems from, you know, him being at the other end, seeing that trajectory that that rock is coming in, and then communicating with the sweepers whether or not they have, because sweeping will either will hold the rock straighter 
um, when they sweep it, and it'll also carry it. So, like, really great curlers are, are easily carrying a rock 10, 10 12 feet. Um, so that yelling is coming from the sweepers yelling to the skip, you know, where, what kind of weight, how fast that rock is traveling so that he can decide, oh, okay, well, it's light or it's heavy, you know, you know, the rock's moving too fast or it's moving too slow. This is what the trajectory is going to be on. So sweep to, you know, keep it on this line or don't sweep to let it curl more. So it's a lot of, uh, so communication is the name of the game in curling, to be honest. If I can follow up on that so I kind of understand it, right? So it's kind of like, put this in terms that my brain understands, right? So the the thrower throws it, and then you guys are basically, the sweepers are saying like, oh, it's going fast. And then he says, he thinks like, oh, it's going fast. Well, then make it go right. Yep, exactly. So you're essentially dictating, you're telling him how fast it's going, and then he's telling you what to do with it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the gist of it pretty much. Um, So... As much communication, I mean, the high-end curling, it's like, there's just our team systems. Like, we spend so much time on, just as much time on our on our team systems as we do on practicing. And for, like, when, when we look at the sweeping, right, and put this in relative terms of when we're talking about Olympians, mm-hmm. like, can the person throwing it just blow it and the sweepers can fix it? And blow um, it for an Olympic level, right? Like, as good as you, you kind of blew it for being really good. But the sweepers will fix it so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, if you're... I, the, essentially if you're heavy, like if you throw it too hard, there's really nothing that the sweepers can do. If you're a little bit light, they can fix that. Um, and if you're a little bit like narrow or you didn't quite get out far enough, like they can tend to fix those, but it's not something like if you just throw a meatball and you know, there is times where the sweepers and nobody else can do anything for you. But I would imagine that doesn't happen too much at we we try not to let that happen, um, you know, not to keep talking, like bringing golf into it, but we kind of talk about it like taking the sand trap out of play, like, you know, kind of giving giving your team something that they can work with. Like, you don't have to be perfect. You just really can't blow it. Just be close. Be close and then let your teammates, you know, make it perfect for you, for sure. When When you're thinking about the strategy, right, are you anticipating what the other team is going to be doing? Like, let's say, hey we need to put one on the right side, but I bet they're going to block us. So let's throw it left because they're going to throw it here and two throws. So do you have to be like a throw ahead of them? Yeah, it's very similar to chess in that way where you're kind of trying to plan your moves out several shots in advance. Um, and there is kind of a bit of a script that, that a lot of like innings will follow or ends will follow. Um, but yeah, you're, you're trying to plan your moves ahead of time and you're trying to anticipate what that other team is going to do. Um, so that's where the strategy comes in. So you're trying to, you know, plan ahead and maybe take away a shot uh, or an idea that that team had that they wanted to do for later in the end. Um, so, and that and that's where curling, um, you know, over the years and years and years in games, like hundreds and thousands of games that you play, you know, every game you kind of learn something new. Um, so you might have an idea of something that's worked in the past and then somebody comes up with an idea to kind of stifle that, that strategy and you have to kind of, you know, come up with something new to, to defend against that. Is there any, I mean, obviously you wouldn't reveal what it is, but is there any time like leading into something big like the Olympics, like we've got this new strategy and nobody's ever seen it before. Like we've got this (laughs) new trick play in football and wait till you meet us, Canada, or is it anything, or has everybody kind Um, of seen it all by this time? I think for the most part, everyone's kind of seen it all. A lot of it is dependent on execution at this level. Um, but there's certainly like our, our last Olympic trials, um, that we played, there's a team from the U S um, led by Corey Dropkin and 
and they kind of had a strategy, um, you know, built for us um, for the Olympic trials and executed it very well and just about beat us, um, you know, to go to the Olympics. And, and I, you know, after that first, they beat us, it's a best of three in the Olympic trial final and they beat us in the first game and we had to win the next two. But I mean, after that first game that we lost, um, we had some very serious conversations in the locker room about how to defend against that because it just was something that we weren't used to seeing. And um, yeah, it was interesting. It hadn't happened in a lot in, in quite a while that I can remember um, where we really struggled with, you know, how to match up with someone strategically for, you know, to answer what they were throwing at us. What was it that they were doing? Like, is it something that a lay person would understand or is it like, um, this is high yeah, level curling, man? It, it, I mean, it was essentially, um, you know, we like to be very offensive. Um, so we like to have lots and lots of rocks in play. Um, and they were just kind of taking that, that stri- like that strategy out of our, you know, out of our control. And, um, yeah, I mean, looking back on it, it was kind of fun to, it was, you know, to have that strategic battle in a, in a big moment and, um, yeah, made for a really exciting final. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Let's do it. How do you slide like that? Okay. So, um, so curling shoes have, they're two completely separate shoes. Um, so our sliding shoe, um, has, so this one has Teflon on the bottom and so it's going to have some sort of slippery material, whether it's Teflon, which is the most common, um, or stainless steel. Um, you'll see used uh, ceramic used to be used back in the day a bit more. But this shoe is the what, what allows us to slide. And then our other shoe is just a rubber. It's just super grippy. Um, so when we're done throwing, typically we'll put a rubber cover over this one so that we can you know walk on the ice and not be sliding all over the place. But um, yep, this is the this is the magic that goes into sliding around on the ice it's just a quarter inch piece of teflon this is my question how far can you slide like i'm always wondering every time i see them like how far are they sliding when they do that you know before like warm-ups and stuff you'll see little kids doing it all the time because it's like obviously like when you're a little kid that's part of the fun of being out there is just sliding as far as you can so i mean you can slide to the other end of the ice which is i, I mean i should know how far that is like <laughs> um but it's a hundred and some feet yeah yeah yep are you serious yeah so it's uh I mean, typically during like during a curling game, you have to release before a certain point. Um, it's called the hog line. Um, so typically, we're not sliding a whole lot further past that. Like we'll just stop our momentum and get up so we can be like involved in what's happening in the shot. But yeah, I mean, you can slide uh, clear to the other end if you want. Damn! This leads into our other question: When is the last time you fell down on the ice? Oh man. I mean, I've fallen a couple times in practice just by like not being aware of my surroundings and tripping over a rock and going down and stuff. But, uh, I took a good spill at the world championships this last year, um, was sliding backwards and ran into the, the sideboards and went right on my ass. That was, uh, thankfully there was no fans cause we were in a bubble, but if there was, that would have been even more embarrassing. It's <laughs> not, that's not on camera anywhere. We can't find that. <laughs> it might be on there somewhere. I, so I remember it used to be a thing where like if people at a restaurant dropped the glasses, like everybody would stop. Like, does everybody in the arena know like, Oh, Chris just fell. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, normally they won't make a big deal of it on the ice, but you'll definitely, uh, catch some flack from somebody after <laughs> once you get on, get into the locker room or something. We kind of answered this question already, but I think we did. Tell me if we didn't. But this person just writes, what's with all the scrubbing? So essentially, you're just trying to put as much weight, um, as much of your body weight as you can over the head of the broom or like the fabric part of the broom, and then move it as fast as you can. So typically, we're sweeping um, 
on a normal shot, you're probably sweeping for 25 seconds or so. Um, and then the other team will throw. So the name of the game for curling a lot of times is, you know, because you're exerting a lot of effort. Um, and sweeping is, man, like, like I said, I've played other sports and stuff, and you get into a, you know, a, a tense match and you're sweeping a ton, like it is physically exhausting. Exerting that effort and then getting ready to go again, and you're doing that over and over and over again. So like when we're training off ice for sweeping, it's a lot of interval training because you're just trying to exert as much effort as you can and then bring your heart rate back down get ready to go again and you know you're doing that you know 40 50 60 times a game i mean it does look intense i will say that like oh they're really sweeping (laughs) how good are you with a broom around the house oh man dude like back when i was in high school i used to get so much crap from my friends about how i was just preparing myself for later in life of you know being able to be really great at sweeping and cleaning and stuff but um yeah, I get I get my way around the house pretty well with a broom, you know. It's uh, I can handle my I can hold my own. Like, look, you want to see somebody sweep up a kitchen? You get oh, a curler. Yeah, give me a call. That you'll you'll be shocked at how clean your place is. Favorite piece of uh, curling lingo? Hmm. Um. It's a good question. Um. I mean, there's a lot of times where, where curling can sound a little bit dirty, um, you know, talking about like hitting it in the crotch or, or you know, that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of times my friends that aren't super familiar with curling will hear, hear us say something during the game like, dude, what the hell are you guys even talking about? Like, sounds like you turned the, if you weren't watching the TV, like you'd think you were watching something, uh, you know, not safe for work. Is there trash talk in curling? Uh, you know, there is a bit. It typically depends on how well, you know, you know the other team. Like, we have some teams around the world that we've played tons of times and, you know, are good buddies off the ice and stuff. And so typically the trash talk is happening more, um, you know, in good fun. Uh, they, they call it a gentleman's sport. Um, so there isn't a whole lot of, you know, trash talking opponents. Uh, you know, it's definitely happened. You know, there's definitely been times where, you know, you might think a guy is doing something that is a little bit cheap or something like that. And, you you know, I might call him out and it might get a little bit, uh, a little bit feisty. But other than that, it's, it's pretty tame. But you couldn't like the other person's getting ready to throw championship match, like walk up and be like, don't miss it left, Steve. <laughs> I mean, you, you certainly could, but, uh, I think you would be, you'd be run out of the game pretty quickly. Um, if if that became uh, a habit, this this is my personal opinion that curling is probably the best Olympic sport, or at least one of the most interesting Olympic sports to watch for the Winter Olympics. Like, have you noticed an increase in attention? I would say since two thousand six, the U.S. team won a bronze medal. Um, the Olympics were in Torino that year, um, and I would say that there's been a higher. Uh, you know, viewership and stuff, because I mean, like any, any sport in the U S or, you know, people like to cheer for, for winners and stuff. So, I mean, that definitely brought, um, you know, definitely brought a little bit more eyes to the, to the sport. Um, but I think over the years as they've gone by, you know, curling is every, every time is one of the most watched sports. I think part of it is people are, um, drawn into, you know, seeing something that they don't, that they don't quite understand and getting involved in the strategy. Uh, but one thing I think is really cool about curling is we're all miked. So um, you can hear our conversations on the ice during all the games. Um, so you get to know a little bit of like, just like also the personalities of the players that are on the ice. 
um, but also get like a, a really in-depth insight as to like what's happening out there. You don't just have a, you know, a talking head that's out there explaining everything to you the whole time. And, you know, the Olympics is, it's cool, man. You get people that are from Arkansas and you get somebody from Hawaii and you get somebody from West Virginia and they're all, they're all there watching and, you know, tweeting at you. And it's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Can you make a living straight off of it? Um, it's getting there. Um, you know, we have a couple of guys on our team that are pretty much professional curlers. I, I have a side, you know, job myself. Um, but it's definitely getting to that point. I, when I was a younger kid, I kind of had a dream that it would be a little, we'd be a little bit further along at this point. Um, but I think, uh, I think there's kids that are coming up right now that will for sure be full-time, you know, curlers, but yeah, we don't have the million dollar contracts that you're seeing in other sports for sure. Is there like a country that is like ooh this is this is the this is curling's mecca and you know they're going to be tough every year no matter what yeah i mean i mean like canada has over a million curlers um so i mean they're they're always on you know a podium contender um you know but that that landscape is changing on the on their upper end of curling. Um, I'd say that there's, you know, every team that's at this Olympics, like I, I truly think this will be the hardest Olympics ever. Um, you know, Scotland, I believe is the number one team in the world right now. Um, Sweden is always up there. Canada, obviously, um, the Swiss, the Swiss guys are fantastic. Um, you know, ourselves, um, Norway, I mean, it, like really go through the list. There's, there's really good teams coming from all over the world right now, which is just phenomenal for the sport to, you know, not be seeing the same, the same faces and the same teams all the time. And, um, just goes to show, you know, Canada for sure. I mean, the game was originated in Scotland, but Canada's, you know, it's, it's, if you're not playing hockey, you're probably curling. So yeah, I would say Canada is probably like the Mecca of, of curling in the world. First question anyone asks you when they find out you're a curler. Hmm. Are you the thrower or the, are you the pusher or the sweeper? Probably. (laughs) yeah are you the guy definitely. or the other guy yeah exactly <laughs> basically how it goes and we're all of them how has how has curling your ability to curl helped you in other aspects of life like yeah. as a, a curling like ooh, man i can i can play beanbag toss like you wouldn't believe <laughs> man i've won some i've won plenty of beers and some money at shuffleboard at the bar that's for sure um oh you got to be able to crush it right oh yeah you get that you got that touchdown you know you got a little strategy in there um so yeah we've had some uh had some free beers come that way but other than that man like it it's especially in a in a something that you've given so much of your life to um which necessarily hasn't like financially compensated the amount of time that you put into it. Uh, it's taught me a ton about, you know, just commitment, um, to something, uh, finishing a, you know, seeing things through and, and, uh, you know, just kind of doing, doing all the hard work when nobody's watching, which I think it translates well into other parts of life. What, um, not to kind of push you out the door, but like what advice would you give to the next generation? Um, you know, my slogan, my grandpa has been one of my, uh, you know, biggest supporters over my career. Um, you know, whether it was starting off playing little kids soccer to, you know, now going to the Olympics and his motto has always been, uh, you know, the most fun wins. And I always told myself that I would retire when I stopped having fun. Um, and I think I, one thing that concerns me a little bit about watching these kids come up behind me is there's a lot of emphasis on, on results right away. Um, 
you know, kids becoming and not just in curling, but becoming like specialized at a, you know, 12 years old. Um, I don't think that's healthy at all. Like, I think you should be able to play as many sports as you can have as much fun with your friends as you can and, uh, only play sports if you're, if you're loving it and having fun, because the truth of the matter is a very select few of you are going to end up, you know, being a professional in that sport and, the best times and the best memories that I have from curling, um, even playing at the top are, uh, the time, like the fun, the fun things that we've, that we've gotten to do. And, um, you know, the memories of just dicking around uh, with your teammates, playing pranks on people and just the, the, yeah, all the fun stories that have come from all the years of travel. Uh, anything you think we missed or anything else you'd like to add? Ah, no, man, I just appreciate you having me on. Um, if anybody has any questions, though, um, you know, my social media stuff is pretty active and I got no problem. Uh, if anybody has any questions or anything, you know, having a conversation with somebody and explaining to them something or there's no dumb question. So fire away. How much does the curler weigh? Actually, now that I think about <laughs> it. is that thing, is it heavy? Like the stone? I've never done it. Yeah, the stones. So the stones weigh 42 pounds. And uh, kind of one of the cool things about curling is, um, again, to go back to golf, but the golf course Turnberry um, in Scotland, um, there's an island off of that golf course called Ailsa Craig, and the majority of all the stones come from that one specific island. So um, they're made out of granite, and it's a special kind of granite that um, it just doesn't have a whole lot of impurities into it, so you can bang them around as much as you can, and, um, and they're not going to break on you or any sort of any sort of thing like that so um yeah it's kind of a kind of a cool thing about curling i would say that every time i've seen it on tv i've always been like those look really nice like whatever that thing's made out of that looks really nice and that show uh how it's made um actually did a uh an ep or like a part of an episode on how they make curling rocks and it's actually pretty interesting um you know going and watching that so if you have like go on youtube or whatever and check out the how it's made uh, curling rock, you'll be able to see exactly how those things are all made. I want to thank Chris so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And we have also included his information in the episode description. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. When you were a little kid, did you ever dream of going to the Olympics? No, but only because I wasn't raised to really know a lot about the Olympics. How are you? What do you mean you weren't raised to be around the Olympics? You know, I didn't watch them. Didn't they weren't on TV? You know, I, so I, I didn't even know what some of these sports were. You know, obviously I knew of hockey, but I didn't know that there was like international hockey. I mean, I'm I, I, that's awesome. If there was an Olympics of everyday life. What event do you think that you could go to the Olympics for? Um, man, that's so tough. I don't know if I'm that good at if I would tell you that I'm that good at anything. Like I'm, I'm pretty good at a lot of things, but I don't know if I'm that good at one thing. Yeah, or doing the most amount of <laughs> alcoholic shots uh, in like an hour. I could probably, I could probably throw that down a little bit. I'm surprised there's not like a universal drinking competition. I mean, there was a movie about it. I, I, I the movie should have spawned games. It hasn't. I feel like nothing's happened after that movie. It's probably pretty illegal because I think people would die. I think that would be the main thing holding back the competitive drinking teams is that well, people dying. 
I mean, because there was that incident a couple of years ago where they did it with water and somebody died. There was, so they would yeah, that, def, somebody would definitely die with beer. That was what a contest for like a Nintendo Switch or something, right? Or like P, a, uh, P for a Wii. Have you ever come close to death in an unexpected way? Like you were doing something, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, I could have died doing that." Uh, I mean, there's been a couple instances that I've said that to myself, whether or not that's true. You know, I mean, it's all speculative. But I can tell you, at my bachelor party, I was, uh, someone had shot themselves at my bachelor party. And the Michigan State Trooper said that, like, if the bullet had not caught in this person's jeans, if it had gone through, like, another fabric, say, like a bathing suit, if they were wearing anything else, the bullet would have traveled straight into a chair uh, which is where I was sitting, and, like, it would have hit me right in the chest. What kind of jeans did he have on? He would had regular jeans on, but he had shot himself in the thigh. Man, the closest one I guess I've had is, like, unplugging a dryer, where in hindsight <laughs> I was like, whoa, I didn't know anything about that, and I almost just died just randomly during the day. By the way, always turn off your power before you unplug a dryer. Because that fucking hurts. I, I had another one uh, a few years ago with a chainsaw where I was I was cutting down uh, or I was cutting up pieces of wood in my backyard and the chainsaw kind of came loose. I was holding it with my left hand primarily. Like it started to slip as I had it going and I could just feel it like coming towards my body. <laughs> so I just I just like dropped it and like ran away from it <laughs> until I could get some control and went back and I was able to finally eventually turn it off. And wait a minute. Were you operating it left handed? Yeah. So, I, yeah, because I'm you got to know better than that, man. As a left handed person, I can I'm left handed and I can tell you I'm going to make I've heard this statistic before. I may have read it. I may have completely made it up. I'm not entirely sure which one, but you're something like 300,000 times more likely to die by a chainsaw if you're left-handed. Oh, it's like because it, it kicks back into you as opposed to if you're right-handed, it kicks back away from you. I, I feel – did you say you might have made that up? You sounded very convincing if you just made that up off the top of your head. I don't know if – I like I honestly – it's one of those things that I've been saying for so long. I don't even know if it's true, but I've said it a lot. <laughs> All right, so you ready for the shout-outs? I'm going to try to do this to where I'm not yelling each person's name and making it awkward. You ready? Oh, yeah. I'll, not, I'll withhold any hope until afterwards. All right, so let's start off here. We're going to go with Jack Rickman, Megan Deaton, Rory O'Brien, Jacob Hansen, Stephen Armstrong. Appreciate you very much. Amelia Taylor, Nathaniel Cowan, Charlotte Wells. Vance Fraley and Malia Carlson. Thank you all very much. This is now marked week four, where John feels that he needs to get really close to the microphone and talk into it. So we'll see how many weeks he still finds that interesting. I think I think I sound good this way. <laughs> you don't. It hurts people's ears. Sorry, sorry, everybody. I appreciate you though. Uh, speaking of, one of my questions I had for you uh, today, I have a couple of. Bangers. Uh, would you rather have three eyes or four ears? <laughs> oh man! So the third, the third eye obviously is going to be in the middle of the forehead. Is that where I'm assuming it's going to be? Are we talking like it's going to be on my chin or something? No, the third eye would be in the middle of the forehead. That's what I envisioned. 
What about the ears? Now, are the ears going to be higher or lower than where most people's ears are placed? I kind of, the way that I thought about it was it would be behind your current ears. Oh, well, that's an easy but... decision then. If it's behind my current ears, then yeah, I'm going four ears because you could cover that up pretty easily. <laughs> I I guess well, I, I guess when I wrote this question down, I wasn't like, what, what, what would the purpose be of having a third eye? I don't even okay, understand well, it. Wait a minute. I've re- I'm rethinking this. If I had to choose between having three eyes or four ears, having four ears, even if you could hide it a little bit, that would still be just like, oh, that's weird, right? But if you had a third eye, people would be mu- you would be more interesting. If you had a third eye, you're interesting. Four ears, you're weird. Because of like, oh, right, can you? What's it like to be able to have that extra eye? Like, can you see farther? Can you see more stuff? Can you see into the future? If you got four ears, nobody cares if you can hear better. You're just like a weirdo with four ears. See, I, I don't think I'd want just a plunk, you know, an ear to, or an ear, an eye in the middle of my head, like forehead, like that. I just don't. No, I'm gonna pass on that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the four ears. I'd rather have four ears. I think. I'm telling you though, man. Once you get used, the, the four ears at the beginning sounds like the better choice. But the more you think about it, the worse the four ears is going to be. Because your hair is going to be completely different. Like, you're, you're going to try to hide it, and you're never going to be able to. Whereas if you have the third eye, you're just going to own it, and you're going to be the dude with three eyes, and people are going to be like, hey, man. Yeah, I'm going I'm to go with the ears. I think I'd still rather have four ears. Even though that, that's a lot more, like, uh, to take care of, too, if you think about it. The ears? It's a lot more to take care of the ears than it would be to take care of the eye. I mean, what do yeah, you do that, to take care of your eyes? No, that, no, that's what I was saying. It's a lot. It's It would be a lot more uh, to take care of the ears than to have just another eye. Well, wait, how many times, how often do you clean out your ears? I mean, probably once or twice every week. I think that's probably pretty bad. I don't think you're supposed to do it that much. But okay. I can do it every day, to be honest with you. I would describe the feeling of itching your ears when you really want to as second only to sex like ooh, that feels good there are some times where i would put it tied with sex i could even could you go above sex there may be a time or two where where i've you know thought that while doing it okay when's the last time though that you then poked your ear drum Ooh, see i learned at an early age not to go in too far you don't want to go in too far for that reason I would almost make an argument that you learn that lesson better than any lesson you learn in life. Once you <laughs> poke the eardrum, you don't do that again. You do not do that. No. And it's, oh, man, I can, just cringing, just like thinking right. about it. Like, I remember I, I thought as soon as I did it, I had to be a teenager. And I thought like I, like I ripped my ear off my head. My next one is just, it's a really useless question. And I'm not sure why I wrote it down a while ago, but I did. Um, to ask you but would you say you were a farm animal which farm animal would you rather be a pig a horse a farm dog or a cow farm dog how is it even a question so yeah horse gets ridden the other two get eaten farm dog just hangs out all his life Doing the thing that he feels like he's supposed to do. Let's say you're a farm dog and you're supposed to be herding or you're supposed to bark. Like that's what you feel like your purpose is in life, to bark or to herd things. So you get to do the thing that you want and you get treated pretty well. Everybody loves the farm dog. 
Okay. So I guess because I didn't think of it that way. I, I just thought about uh, like a horse. I'd, I think I'd want to be a horse over any other uh, of those because, you know, right? Uh, pigs getting chopped up. You don't want to be the, the, the pig. I feel like no. the dog, you'd have way too much responsibility. Like you grow up like acting like you're this big, tough animal when you're really just a dog that gets used by your owners to, to do nothing fun. Like, but know, the dog know. wants to do that stuff. It's like the guy that we had on the Iditarod winner. Where he's like, this is what the dogs want to do. They're excited about it, right? They want to mush, so they mush. It's like the farm dog. It wants to be a farm dog. Wants to do that stuff. You think the horse really wants to be running all over the fucking place? I don't think they do. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like you could I feel like you could argue, put the same argument of the dog to the horse. Like, that's what they want to do. Like, that's what mm, they know. Kind of. I just think about it to a lesser degree with the horse. I feel like the horse would rather just be sitting there eating. And I, you don't I really, think... you don't see like a horse running around in the field. You never just see a horse running around by itself. I guess you really right? don't because they're they're too fucking tired. They're just chilling. They just want right. to take a break, carrying some fat ass around all day. <laughs> hey, you want to go on this trail ride with these tourists? No. <laughs> you know, horses really are thinking about it. They're one of the only animals that we still. I don't want to say abuse because I'll get hated on, but like, you know, they still get used regularly for like touristy attractions. Like, hey, you want a carriage ride? Let's do this, you know? Yeah, we work them a little bit. Yeah, we do. Yeah, probably more than, oh, I don't know. That's close between the dog and the horse, between which animal we work the most. Not use for food, but like work the most because there are like, canine dogs and there's all kinds of dogs that you know, the service dogs and stuff like that and we work them pretty hard but the horse is up there too yeah i you know what animal doesn't do shit cats <laughs> cats fucking cats fucking cats they get away okay. with everything uh, all, right. all right and then uh i really just uh only other thing i really had to, to talk about you probably already know what it is uh that's but I want to frame the question, and that is... The answer is no, I don't care about Tom Brady retiring. It's not him retiring. It's the fact of uh, uh, of the whole integrity question, right? Like, I, I want to know that whether he's going to retire or not, to believe it or not to everyone who listens to this, who knows my uh, love for Tom Brady, I don't care really if he retires or not. He needs to go. He needs to stay. It doesn't matter to me anymore. But regardless... It's just really shitty how it happened. I mean, and I, I feel like there should be some accountability for this, but I don't know where there should be accountability because the reporters are just doing their job. They want to break it first. But when you have his family and his attorney that comes out and said, like, he's not even close to making a decision, who do you believe at that point? I would say that as a former reporter, nothing ever really leaks. Nobody's ever really leaking something. Things don't get out. They put it out on purpose. So I would, it would be, maybe I'm wrong, but it would be my gut reaction that somebody in his team did that on purpose, told somebody on purpose. And then maybe it didn't quite come out the way that they wanted it to. But I would assume that they told him on purpose and it, nothing I mean, ever that, really leaks. Right. And I, and I agree with you on that to a certain, to a certain point. It's just, I would think his inner circle is so small uh, like his inner inner circle that would know that that you know, but who knows? I, I could be wrong. It, it doesn't even 
really doesn't even matter. But I, I just it's another thing that it's like, man, he deserves to go out on his own terms and I'd be really really disappointed for, for him if uh if it was ruined by a couple of eager NFL reporters. I'm sorry, they're the Bills in the playoffs? No, they no, got they're beaten. not, so I don't care. They got beaten. Oh, you're yeah. a Bills fan. The fans the fans will never die. That's all. That, well, I mean, some <laughs> probably have because of things that have happened at Bills Mafia, but the fans go on, right? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm, not a fan, I'm not a fan of the Buffalo Bills football team. I'm a fan of the Buffalo Bills fans, and that's why I root for the Buffalo Bills because I want to see their fans more. Okay, so our top five is our, – <laughs> Our top five is top five Olympic sports. We're looking at both winter and summer, just the overall top five Olympic sports. Oh, man. There's so many. I mean, I my list is five, but I should have gone with – we should have gone with the top 30. But all right. Okay, uh, real, real quick, though. How many – I actually looked this up. How many Olympic sports do you think that there are? Oof. Uh – I, I, you know, just just spitballing. I'll say a hundred, a total of one hundred and twenty-five. Nowhere close. There is okay. I think that Summer Olympics is around like forty, and Winter Olympics only has like fifteen sports. Ah, uh, but it's all the disciplines. That it's all I'm, the I'm disciplines, or, or whatever different, yeah, different uh, categories of sport. Okay, that makes sense. I did think that Winter Shit. Olympics had a lot more sports than 15 sports, but they really don't have very many. It's basically just skiing, skating in various forms, and bobsled, and right. hockey, and curling. Hmm. Yeah, there's really not that many. Anyway, what's your number five? Uh, ping pong. <laughs> That's my number five, too. I got Is ping pong. Really? Yeah, seriously. I was really going back and forth between ping pong and fencing. For my number five, but I ultimately pick ping pong. That's a great okay. sport. Yeah, it's fun to watch. It's amazing to watch, and it's uh, the way. Yeah, I don't even know how to explain it. I, the spin they put on the ball, and it's something that, you, like I said earlier, you can be in your house and you think you could be an Olympian until you watch them, and then you know you can't. That's my thing for what I think the best Olympic sport is. Is it's something that you do regularly, and then you see like, oh wow, that's how the good the best in the world are and then it just blows your mind as to like holy crap somebody's that good at this yeah what if all, what if oh my gosh okay what's your number four uh so my number four uh did you say you had fencing as number five i i was thinking hard between ping pong and fencing at number five but ultimately went with ping pong okay yeah so i i'm not I, i'm not i'm gonna remove fencing as my number four and i'm gonna go with the uh pentathlon as my number four I don't even know what that is. Uh, so it's it's how do I explain it without sounding dumb? It doesn't seem like you know what it is it's, either. It's a track and field <laughs> event that has uh, swimming, fencing, riding. So like it's the competitors compete in all these different disciplines and they get points. And then at the end of the competition, whoever has the most points gets uh, gets the gold medal and and whatnot. So it's think of it like they compete in different things, not just track and field. Okay, my number four is the bobsled. And in the bobsled, I'm including all of the various bobsled-like events, right? Like, I don't know the difference between the luge and the skeleton, but they're all bobsledding to me. And I, I think it's fair to, to say that the greatest um, uh, Olympics movie, right, mm. is based off of a bobsled team. But did you care about the bobsled before Cool Runnings? No, I, no, I had no idea. 
But that's why I root for the Jamaican bobsled team every year if they're there, or every four years if they're there. Can you do the thing that they do when they get started? Do you know what the rhyme is? No, I, I, <laughs> no, I don't. Do you know it? I think I do. I think it's one for the just... rhythm, two for the rhyme, three to get ready. It's bobsled time. <laughs> I'm not going to look it up, but I think that's it. One for the rhythm, two for the rhyme, three to get ready. It's bobsled time. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I mean, that sounds pretty good. That's pretty impressive. Uh, all right. My number three is luge. Luge. Is it luge or luge? I'm pretty sure it's luge. Okay. Let me read this message. Okay. Um, look, my number three is curling. Okay. I mean, that's fair. I mean, it's it's really you could intersperse a lot of different sports, and that's one of them that I could have made the list, my list, pretty easily as well. I had a lot that I could have substituted in at number five. And I would say that five and four, I could switch out a lot of different events. But once we hit the top three, the top three is the top three. And I would say that curling is in that top three. Yeah, see, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really feel like I could have a different top five if you ask me next like next week on this. I just – I like so many of these sports because they're, they're so awesome in their, in their each individual way. So, like, my number two, I have figure skating as my number two. And it's it's – it's the only time that I even care remotely about figure skating, but it's it's fascinating watching it on the Olympic stage. I will say that it's fascinating to me for about three seconds in which I look at all of the different people involved, and all of the different people involved in figure skating seem to be caricatures of themselves, right? Whether they're men or they're women or whatever. They seem to be caricatures of themselves. And so every time I see figure skating, I'm fascinated by the people. I could care less about the sport in and of itself. But the people, I'm like, look at this lady. Look at that guy. <laughs> I, mean, I don't care about the sport aspect of it at all. I, I think it's fa- I mean, I think it's great. I Can you ice skate? Yeah, dude. Okay. I, I mean, it's feet, it's, right? It's not hard. It is hard. It's very hard. And for them to do what they can do. I give them a lot of credit. Okay. I want to hear what – let me know if you agree with this or disagree with this. It is my opinion that because of our resources and our population, the United States should get at least bronze in every single event in the Olympics. You, you What you say is correct, and I want to say yes, but ultimately we don't have – you can train – uh, on a com- in a computer on a computer screen to try to be a good skier, but unless you're like in Belgium and you can do it all year round and have you know that stuff right at your fingertips, of course other nations are going to be better. But yes, on the surface, because we are America, we should have we should finish no worse than bronze in every single sport. I would agree with that. Right. It's surprising that we're not always in the top three because of our population size. Like you would think that we have the resources and the sheer number of people that we would be able to have more people who are good at that thing. Okay, that's my whole rant. Uh, my number two is gym. My number two is gymnastics, specifically women's gymnastics. I don't really care about men's gymnastics. Women's gymnastics is is, in my opinion, a great, much better sport than the men's. Yeah, I mean, see, gymnastics are something to me. It's it's one it's one once again. It's a sport that I could put on. The, it should be in the top five, but for me, it just didn't make the cut. It's it's fine. I, I think there's too much. Like, I feel like we know too much 
of the inner workings because, uh, you know, there's been all those documentaries, the Larry Nasser scandal and investigation. Oh, you're going big screen. Okay. No, I'm just I'm just saying I, I, I feel like there's too much behind the curtain. I think that's part of the Olympics to me that is still why it's still so fascinating is because a lot of it is unknown. What percentage of the countries participating in the Olympics could do you think you could find on a map? I bet you that if I had a sheet in front of me with every country on it in the world, I could get 90 to 95% of them within a certain area of where they are. Now, I couldn't point them out specifically, but I could get within, say, 100 miles or, or whatever, you know, on a map of where they actually are. I'm that confident. Okay. Uh, wait, what is it? What is it? My, my, I'm on my number one, and it's uh, short track speed skating. I, it's a great, it's a great sport. I don't know if it's number one material. Actually, no. Now that I think about it, no. That not only should that not be number one, that shouldn't be on your top five. I don't even know. That's honorable mention at best, because it may be a great sport to watch, but it does not define the Olympics. Like for example, my number one is track and field mainly because of the 100-meter dash, which essentially defines the Olympics. I can't argue with you on that, though I will say that uh, for like two or three uh, Olympics in a row, it was short track speed skating that was the face of the Winter Olympics, uh, at least here in America. Was it? Yeah, was remember, it? And, remember Apollo who? Anton Ono? Remember when God he was a big it. deal? I do, I do actually know. Uh, so obviously my number one is track and field. What's your What's in your honorable mention? Yeah, I mean, so like I, I, I kind of broke it down, I guess. So like for the track and field, I have the 800 meters, 400 meters, uh, the marathon, the 100 meter. Uh, um, I'm guy oh, that's a very long list here. I have like snowboarding on there. I have um, velodrome cycling, which is awesome to me. Uh, I have hockey, uh, Olympic boxing. I, I really enjoy rowing. Is pretty awesome. What? Um, yeah. Competitive oh, rowing. I would put that as competitive rowing. That's last on one of the last Weird. ones on my list. No, I, it's like the, that's like archery, where the first couple of times you see it, all right, that's cool, but I can I I need to see one competitor in archery, then I'm 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 good with that. That to me is like the same with diving or with speed skating or some of those other sports where I can't tell really the difference between people. Any of those kind of sports where I don't, all right. That's a triple Lutz. That's a triple Saucal. I don't know what the difference is. They look exactly the same to me. That's 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 my argument too against sports like skateboarding, snowboarding, any of those kind of freestyle flippy sports is that I don't know what the difference is. They all kind of look alike. You know, I don't think you're wrong, but that's just because we're not educated on the sports, right? I mean, like like alp like skiing. I think skiing's fantastic. I've never done it. I don't know the kind of athletic ability it takes to do like go down a hill or you know al- alpine skiing. But it seems friggin' hard. I'm gonna reiterate my thing is that the Olympics should have one completely random person in every single event, just to show how much better the people are. Like we need to have one person in the crowd brought into every single Olympic event just to show how much better the professionals are from your average person. Like, could you imagine that you just get somebody out of the crowd and send them down the ski jump? That'd be fantastic. But I want it it to be somebody that is so confident and cocky, you know, like, like your friend, right? We, everyone has that friend that is, Oh, I could do that. You know, I, I could go out there and be in the NBA. 
Like I, I want, I want, the, I want that kind of person to to get picked. Mm, yeah, I would love to see that. <laughs> oh, it'd be fantastic. Just yeah, just 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 uh, not only as a humbling experience, but just for the humor of it. Uh, my honorable mention, I have track cycling, which I believe you refer to as hippodrome tra- cycling because you're trying to be Velo- fancy. Velodrome, now. not hippodrome. There. What is it? Velodrome. V drome. What's the difference? Is there a hippodrome? A hippodome? <laughs> I'd go I to the might. hippodome, quite frankly, before I would go to the velodrome. Like if I had both domes standing next to each other and I had a choice between the hippodrome and the velodrome, I'm going to the hippodrome. <laughs> Yeah, I go to the hippo. Who wouldn't go to the hippodrome, man? Yeah, everybody go to the hippodrome. I got speed skating in there, man. I see you. Not number one by any stretch of the imagination. Fencing is up there. Ski jumping is up there. Like uh, the sports that are just like that's cool. I want to see that. See, ski jumping to me is it, it's fine, but it's I don't know. It's just like okay, they jumped. It's fine. Right. It's only like they're flying across three or four football fields. No big deal. But see, I don't want to hate on it because I, I like I appreciate it and I watch it. Like I said, my I what we should have done is like a not top five list of like sports that we don't think should be, you know, Olympic sports. Okay, that's gonna go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, please leave a review or a rating. We really appreciate it. It really does help us out. And let us know what you think are the best Olympic sports. But also, what are some sports that you think should be included in the Olympics but aren't? 